You are listening to Wolf in Tune, and this is Richard Wolfie Wolf. My guest today is the uh, podcast impresario extraordinaire, creative artist, producer, and uh, all-around magnificent uh, what am I going to end this with? I got to start all over again because I'm stuck. Oh my God, I loved it. I, lo- I loved it. It was great. I was here for it. Well, okay. So here we go. And um, bear with me, Jenna. It's uh, First of all, it's a thrill to have you here, of course. Oh, it's a thrill to be here. As always, I love, I love your energy, you, everything. So I love to be here. And um, I'm going to bear with me because I'm going to introduce you and I'm going to stick to the script because I'm not very good at improvising, okay? Perfect. So Jenna Andrews is the founder of The Green Room, a digital series podcast discussing topics surrounding these challenging times, from talking about social distancing and staying at home, to what it's like to be creative during a pandemic, to anxiety and body image and everything in between. And I got to say, I know this podcast, uh, The Green Room, pretty well. I was on it. And I had a fantastic time. Personally, I can highly uh, give you my imprimatur and recommend it. Now, Jenna is a platinum singer, songwriter, vocal, and executive producer. That means she's a vocal producer and she's also an executive producer. And she worked with, by the way, yeah, they got to update, Jenna. They got to update this because they got to start with the word Grammy. Oh! It's got to start with that. From now on, when they start talking about your career in the record business, you got to say, at least say Grammy-nominated platinum singer, songwriter. This is before the Grammys, what we're talking now, right? We're in, what, February, the beginning of February. So you are a (laughs) Grammy-nominated. I love it. And uh, you worked with Drake and Jennifer Lopez, BTS, Little Mix, Noah Cyrus, and the list goes on and on and on. We don't have time for all <laughs> anymore, okay? I love it. And, uh, okay, so here's this inside music business stuff that no one's going to understand unless you know the music business well. You A&R of Noah Cyrus and Lennon and Stella at Records. Now, Records is the name of a record company, right? Right, exactly. I know it's confusing to some people, but yes. And, and, and what is it, part of Sony or something like that? It is part of Sony, exactly. Look at you. You're 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 checking all the boxes. Well, I'm you know I'm a vet. I I know this shop talk stuff. Barry Weiss has something to do with this. Exactly, it's his company. Now nobody's going to know Barry Weiss. I mean, Barry Weiss is very uh, significant because he ran Jive Records, basically. Jive. He was part owner of Jive, actually, with Clive Calder. Right. So you have like classic uh, Tribe Called Quest, right? Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears. Britney Spears, yep. And then the boy bands, right? In sync and In sync, exactly. He signed, yep. Millions of he's just like a total OG. He's done. Okay, that's amazing enough things. about Barry Weiss. That's, no one's interested. <laughs> Nobody cares. All right. Oh, so I care. <laughs> okay. So you worked with Drake. What's that about? How did you get to work with Drake? So I worked with Drake um, because basically we we sort of came up together. Um, I I'm from Calgary originally, Canada, and I I moved to Toronto, basically pretty close to out of high school, and just you know became friends with him. And it was like him and Boy Wanda and Noah Shabib 
AK-40, like just that whole crew. And like we sort of just, you know, I used to record in Boy Wanda's um, the bathroom. Like it's just like really came up together like properly. So I've known Drake from the very beginning, like, you know, Degrassi days, like way before mm. he was Drake to the point where like, I, I just, I still remember before when I first got signed to Island Def Jam, myself as an artist, I still remember, you know, going around to, to the offices being like, oh my God, you got to check out my friend. He's a rapper. You should check him out on MySpace. Wow. <laughs> and that ended up, that's Drake. So it's so funny. It's like life, it's a cool thing, you know, when you see somebody and especially a friend of yours, like, you know, in your circle, just become basically one of the biggest artists of our generation. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's pretty incredible. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, guess how I worked with him, if, if that's, if that's what you mean as well, is that obviously by knowing each other for a long time and so 40, um, he hit me up right when I got dropped from my label in like 2014 and he was developing him and Drake, um, we're developing Magic Jordan that was assigned to OVO. Um, and they asked me to help develop that project. So I came in and that was one of the first projects that I was involved with as a songwriter, you know, vocal producer, executive producer as such. Like I helped to, to put that project together. Um, and I just loved it. It was so great. And obviously I've known them for years and they feel like family. I mean, it was just an awesome vibe. And there was a song on the Magic Jordan record called Forever that Drake sampled on a song that I was a part of called You and the Six. So you're a developer. I mean, this is a lost art, I think. It used to be if you were an A&R person, that's what you were supposed to do is develop the artist. They're not supposed to come with uh, 10,000 followers and a million streams. They were unknown musicians and you developed them. So you, you're one of the... Uh, the existing developers, it sounds like. Yes, exactly. Like for me, it's funny because I, you know, I've been trying to figure out like for a long time, you know, my relationship with the word A&R because it's like, I really see myself more as an executive producer. You know, I think for me, it's really much more what I do in today's world. I mean, I guess, like you said, if it was like 20 years ago, then A&R would be more appropriate, but I think now I, I, I act way more like a producer because I obviously I write and I vocal produce and I help to arrange and also just put, you know, just put a project together in terms of like every sort of piece of it, you know, like I really love helping to create a vision and well, just basically piggybacking on the artist's vision already and just helping sort of have it come to fruition. And I think in the beginning, when I was first developing, like Lennon Stella was a f the first artist that I really, I mean, Magic Jordan, yes, but I, you know, I had nothing to do with obviously signing him or anything. It was just something I was very much involved with on the development um, level in terms of musically. But, but Lennon, I actually signed her to Barry's label and I knew Barry through Island Def Jam because he was the chairman of my label. That's where I was signed. So that's how we knew each other. And um, when I signed Lennon, it, yeah, I was like, it wasn't, it's an A&R responsibility, but as I progressed in inside the job, it was like, oh no, like what I'm actually doing is more like an executive producer role, similar to what I would assume Quincy Jones, Jones did back in the day and stuff like, I am not saying that that's what I am right. at all. That's crazy. I'm not, but like, but I'm just saying in terms of like, that's the role or like Rick Rubin or whatever. Like to me, like I look at those guys and I'm like, that's like, you know, who I look up to and who I, you know, see myself as like following in the footsteps of. Hey, that's very cool. So executive producer basically puts together all the elements of a record. They'll hire the producers and then the songwriters and the engineers and the mixers and the mastering and all that stuff. 
Now, you can do all of this because you have a deep background yourself as an artist, right? You started out as an artist. Yeah. And you toured the world. You had some success. You're a songwriter, a creative artist, and you've been produced. So you know what it's like to be produced. Exactly. And so vocal producer, that's interesting distinction. So you don't do the tracks, you're, you're producing the vocals. Exactly. So you, can you take somebody that's like a mediocre singer and make them sound great? Yeah, 100%. And I mean, it's not even like, to me, okay, the way that I describe it, it's not even like, to me, it's all about taste, right? So it's, it's it, to me, you can be the most, the best technical singer in the world, but, but not, you know, be able to make anyone feel anything. So it, it, I really don't look at it that way. I look at more like an instrument, right? So... To me, I, I always look in a singer, no matter you know how technically skilled. I'm not looking at a range or like whatever. It's it's about like tonality, emotion, and taste, and phrasing, and those type of things, right? So I really think my job is to be able to like bring out whatever's unique about them, the same way as you would somebody's personality. It's like, oh my god, I love this person because they make me feel this way, or like, you know, they're unique because of you know whatever qualities you have as an, in a human being and what makes you Richard Wolf or what makes me Jenna Andrews or what makes anybody, that's what it should be when you listen to somebody, you know, sing or their music, because I feel like you want to feel like, okay, yeah, it's not, you're not listening to it just to be like, oh, cool. Like they can hit that note. You want to feel, you want to be like, oh, I really want to, I'm in the mood to listen to this artist because it makes me feel such and such what kind of way. And that's sort of, that's my goal as a vocal producer. Yeah. And it's really the goal of any good producer is to elicit the best performance you can from the singer or the artist, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and whatever that may take, you know, different people have different approaches. Um, some people, I mean, I had, a, I was in a situation where in order for me to elicit the best performance, I had to get the performer really angry. Right, exactly. Oh, you had that too? Of course. Like, dude, that's such a, it's, 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 it's not even that I've had that specific example off the top of my head but I feel like I understand what you mean because I think it's trying to get whatever emotion out of them so they're able to to bring something and make you feel something it's like whether it be because you know anger may you know spark whatever sort of other thing in them so when they perform the song it feels completely different like I learned that actually back in the day when I was working with Babyface and and um when he recorded my vocals and it was just like I'm so driven. I just would stay all night, just be like, I want to keep recording. Da, da, da. And I just, he would just be like, we're done. And I'm like, why, why? And it's just like, you're just like, you're not in it. Like, I don't feel it, you know? And I just think that what you just described is like, you're, you're, you're bringing something out of an artist that's actually going to make them perform differently, right? You're not just dialing it in. That's basically what I'm saying is like, that isn't what anybody cares about. So as, as your role as a producer, vocal producer, anybody that's trying to really get some type of connection is what you just described. And I love that. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand that. And by the way, vocal producer, in your case, and I think in any case, um, it's not to be trivialized, but in your case, you worked with BTS. Yeah. For which you are getting a Grammy nomination. You have a Grammy nomination. Woohoo! <laughs> what does BTS stand for, by the way? Does it stand for anything? You know what? I mean, typically it stands for behind the scenes. Ah. I just, you know, would assume that that's what that means in context of, of their name. But I don't really know, actually. Um, 
in terms of, of BTS in, in respect to actual BTS, the group. But when you're talking about BTS, that's behind the scenes. That's what it is. Yeah. So, so BTS is really a singing group. They're a pop group, right? K-pop. Very big K-pop. Very, 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 very big. Well, they're very big, period. I mean, all over the world. They're it's usually crazy. Su- usually successful. They're a huge Hugely. following in this country. Yeah. Crazy. And didn't they like screw Donald Trump? I mean, uh, the K-pop fans, like he thought there were going to be millions of people at a at a rally in Tulsa because they the BTS fans or K-pop fans bought all, you know, said they were going and then they didn't show up. Oh, my God. I, I don't know. That's crazy. If that, I mean, I believe it. I didn't know about that. But like, wow. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. Anyway, to the point that BTS is not a band like Metallica or, you know, Foo Fighters where the vocal producer would just, you know, have a certain limited role. BTS is a singing band. They don't play instruments, right? So basically, it's really, really crucial the way uh, the vocals are being produced. That That's a make it or break it event. Yeah, and it's but they also dance, you know. Um, they're incredible dancers, amazing performers. My opinion is that anything should sound incredible like I that's the way that I approach any record in fact I had a conversation earlier today somebody pointed that out they were like oh my god like you're a rare, you're somebody that's so rare like so or what did they say they said oh it was so funny like you spend so much time on these records and like overthink it and like do all this stuff and in the beginning I was like oh my god like you're you're going crazy you shouldn't be spending this much time and then uh, ultimately they were like oh you act I'm I'm actually like wow, you're right. You were right. And they, that was so nice of them to compliment me in that, in that way, because they were basically drawing reference to another person that was basically like, just send it out, just put it out. Let's see what happens. But then, um, this person was telling me like my method of just like really trying to make everything like I'm essentially a super perfectionist. And it's like, quote unquote, they're like, that's old school, which is so funny that it's old school. Cause I, I guess it is, but I just feel that it's so important when it comes to anything. So yes, when it comes to BTS, but yes, when it comes to anybody, because I think that it's just, it's, why would you not want to put your best foot forward? Like, it just makes sense. Like you, why would you want to put it this way? Like, if you're going to put the time and effort in and, and put your music out there, why would you not want it to be the best that you could possibly make it? Like, I, I would never just want to settle, I guess. That's just not the kind of person I am. So, of course, you're you're pushing for the best possible performance. But I have a question here: Why you? Why me? What do you mean? Well, why does B- BTS? They could go to anybody, right? They're the biggest singing group there is. Why Jenna Andrews? Why do they hire you to produce? What did they hear that you did, or you know, why you? Well, they hear that I wear really crazy hats. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I love your hats, by the way. <laughs> No pun intended. People always like, Jenna, you wear so many hats. I'm like, oh, I'm like, why do people have to put people in a box in this business? I'm just like, so not into that. I'm just always the person like, why? Like, you can do whatever. Like, you know, I just don't ever want to limit myself. But in terms of that situation with BTS, um, I don't really know. I guess I got lucky in that situation and was able to really um, have a vision for it and understand like what I felt like creatively what I was hearing and, and, and they really, and they liked it. So I think it's one of those things that it's like, you know, it's chemistry, right? I mean, it always comes down to that. It's like, if it's, if it clicks and then, and, and it feels right and you have a good connection with everybody. And, and, and to be honest, um, I really enjoy working with, with the big hit 
um, people. That's their their label in, in Korea. And I, I really like, I work with them on other projects as well. And it just, um, it just made sense. So I, I, I don't know, I feel really lucky that they, that they um, hired me for the job. But I also feel like we had really good chemistry in it. So. Okay. And Grammy nominated. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you delivered. You, you all delivered. Yes. So is it this i don't know very much and i should because i have um students that are really into bts there's a member of bts named Jin. yeah and he makes a lot of jokes he's like a jokes the guy yeah I that's mean, so funny oh my god i love that you know all this that's so cool he seems to make jokes about food i mean i don't know that much i don't really know that much to be honest um i'll tell you one of his jokes okay it, it's Go. it goes very fast okay how does a train eat Choo choo. Oh, <laughs> that's that's great. And then he has one who goes, um, some girl says I was she saw me eating in a vegan restaurant. Can't be true because I never met her before. Oh my <laughs> Although the pronunciation should be herbivore. Oh my god, that's hilarious. That's that's a kind of iconic actually. I love it. All right, enough about BTS. Uh let's move on to the next subject, which is something I'm very interested in, in your songwriter aspect. Shoot, I'm, I'm excited. So are there any tips that you could give? And I know this because I was fed this question by a songwriter, a very good songwriter. Who was it? I don't want to. Okay, Anonymous. I could tell you, but uh, that'll be behind the scenes, BTS. Um, she, uh, she asked... Is there any any tips you want to give about trying to make a career as a songwriter? Yeah, I get like are there any tips that I would give somebody who's a songwriter that's, you know, a good songwriter but wants to be better or, you know, make it a profession? Yeah, so for me, um you know, the way that I always answer this question is that I think, you know, in my experience, it's like the hustle is is really important. I think that, you know, doing it for the right reasons too. I think that a lot of times like you look at the music industry and you're like, oh my God, it looks so exciting and all these type of things, but it's hard work, you know, and you have to really be driven and and keep going and, and be willing to challenge yourself and understand that like, you know, there's going to be a million songs that you write that people aren't going to like, but you just keep it going and it's going to connect at some point and just be open to getting better and challenging yourself and making relationships and um, in terms of actually like, you know, having songs cut, like, let's say that you, you know, you write a song and, or a bunch of songs, you're like, how do I get it to the right artist? It's like, like now there's so many different channels, whether people actually respond, you know, that may not, you know, you may send something, you know, to somebody on whatever, you know, social media platform, but I think it's worth trying. Cause it's like, at the end of the day, you can send it out. If you have a song, you, you, you know, whatever artist or you see a songwriter, you look at the credits and you're like, oh my God, this person wrote this song. Let me try to see if I can send my song to them. Um, and I just think that relationships are so important because more important than anything, and I feel like the best songs that I've written have always come out of the best relationships that I've had, you know? It's like, it's it really starts there. And and sometimes it's, you know, it's it's hanging out like five times before you actually write a song. And then the, And then when you write the song, it's like, oh my God, that was easy. You know, it's like one of those things. So I think that it's just like developing those relationships and, and, and also understanding, you know, patience and and being able to develop a thick skin and not feeling like defeated, you know, and those things are really hard to do. 
Um, and I think we all feel them, which is, you know, bringing back to why I have a mental health podcast, because listen, we all feel these deep anxieties and insecurities and whatever, you know, we go through as humans and that's normal. But I think that it makes you a better songwriter. And I think ultimately if, if it's something that you really want and, and connect with and you feel like that's your deeper purpose, then it will work out to, you know, I really believe that because I'm just such a believer of connection to the universe and just feeling like you can really kind of let your like spirit guide you in sense of like, I don't know, I'm, I, 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 and I think maybe it's experience too, because I've learned that over the years of just like that genuine gut check. And it, sometimes it's really hard because it's a fear makes you not really follow that intuition. But I do think that helps you be more successful because a lot of times I think we all make decisions that are not good ones because we're so nervous or we're scared not to, you know, we don't want to say the wrong thing or whatever it might be. And we think, oh, that's going to bring us to this point. But if it doesn't feel right or all those type of things, I think it ends up like hurting you. So, um, yeah, I just I'm always like, again, my 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 main thing is just like drive, mm -hmm. you know, hustle um, relationships really. And then just like doing what you do and just staying true to who you are, you know, that's, that's a big one. Well, you touched on some things uh, like anxiety and fear and insecurity, and we will circle back to those momentarily. <laughs> I have a specific question. Uh, still on this train of thought, choo-choo. And that would choo -choo. be, that would be, how can you tell, you know, I know in my case, what I would do is when I finished a record, I was close to finishing a song. Um, I would just play it for everybody who came by the studio. It didn't matter who they were, just play the song and see the reaction. And from doing that, I could tell, did I, did I write a good song or not? If I got a good, re obviously, if I got good reactions, then I knew I was onto something. If I didn't, because I never, you know, you get so involved yourself in the song, you can't really have perspective. So what are you, what are the tricks that you use to gauge whether you've written a really good song? How do you, how can you tell? By the way, I love that you did that because that's such a good one. I, I love doing that as well. I love just kind of like playing it, even if you like play it in the background and like, you know, know that you're playing it in the background, but like you may have to catch the ears of whoever's in the room. And like, if somebody's like, oh my God, what is that? That's the best reaction, you know, because it's like something that's so not like there's no um, reason that person should have to have said that. Like, you're not like, what do you think? You know, it's like I love that stuff. I'll just like sometimes I'll, I'll have something play. And I love the idea of like people perking up and being like, that's cool. Like and not actually asking their opinion, just having them mm. like tell you, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of how do I gauge? I mean, Usually I have at this point, at least in my career, I feel like I have like a solid amount of people that I really, really trust, you know, and I think that's really important because, you know, in my experience in my life, I feel like, you know, when you put your music, like when you ask too many people what they think, everybody has such different opinions, you know, um, if you let that affect you, that can really, you, that can, you can really suffer from that. For example, there's a lot of different people with different tastes. So it's kind of like if you feel like, like I think that it's dangerous sometimes to to open the opinions up to a ton of people and there's too many cooks in the kitchen because it can confuse you and make you, you know, sort of forget what your initial vision was. So I think it's really healthy to have like, you know, your core team of people that you really trust. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's what I really, 
I love, I love that. And I, I feel that I have that now. And it was something that I really had to learn to, to be able to, you know, understand and know and intentionally send to the right people that I actually like really trusted their opinion on. And, and, and that's really worked for me. Do you ever think about putting the song out as a TikTok video, just as a teaser to see what the reaction you get or an Instagram reel or anything like that? Is Does that ever happen? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the way that you connect to fans today, you know? Like, that's I, I love that shit. I mean, for me, I actually feel like I should probably do more of that. I mean, I don't, you know, I have I, I want to actually do another artist project this year. I haven't put out another artist project of my own for a minute and I, and I do want to do that. Um, but I think that even as a songwriter, like even if it's not for your own artist project, just to like put songs up and be like, Hey, what do you think? Like, that's such a great, oh, so cool about today's world. You know what I mean? I think it's awesome. And yes, like the answer is yes. I just love it. Okay. So, so now let's talk Turkey about anxiety and fear and insecurity. You and I are members of the panic attack club. We are. I love that you said, what did you say? Let's talk turkey. Yeah. So great. <laughs> so I like great. That. I'm like, yeah, I love it. So, um, you know, I told you about my panic when I went on your um, podcast, right? Which I love, by the way, I've said that already. Um, and I talked about my panic attack and, and that's how it got me in seriously into mindfulness. And you were saying that you had many panic attacks, right? Yeah. So, um, so basically... It's funny when you mention that to me because I 100% relate to that. Like I, I would dr was drinking a lot of like Red Bull and like all the like when I first got signed. I don't know. I just randomly got addicted to like Red Bull or Monster energy drinks because for whatever reason I don't know why. Um, and I would be drinking them like six or seven, you know literally like cans a day or whatever it was. And it was just, um, it, I think that that really started them. I mean, I've, I, you know, I've suffered from anxiety to, on so many levels before that, but I think that obviously those type of, there's a reaction in your body that, that obviously can trigger that. And right. anyway, so I, yeah, I mean, I very, I like vividly remember the first time that I really experienced a panic attack. And it's such a weird thing because I think, you know, it really does, it, it feels so unfamiliar, you know, the feeling of it, it really does feel like you're so unaware of what's going on. It has to be a physical thing. You have to be dying, like these type of things, right? It can't be in your brain or like those things, like it just doesn't exactly compute that it can be a panic attack. It just feels very much like a heart attack. And so, exactly. Um, and so like it, it, for me, um, I remember like literally calling my dad and, and my dad's a psychologist um and being like I'm dying I'm dying like this is gonna be the last time you talk to me like it like literally like I I was sitting on the um the ground like I was outside a grocery store sitting on the ground totally remember that my dad being a psychologist and knowing like how to re react to these situations was like kind of reacting to me very calmly being like so how was your day like almost like totally not even acknowledging what I was saying, which I understand now. Cause after he was like, Oh, like that's so he could recognize that I was going without what I was going through. So he was kind of like trying not to make me like more nervous. Right. So he was almost like trying to be like, Oh, so tell me about this or tell me that, like not really like 
playing into like what I was going through and and um it actually worked like it, it like I feel that now when I reflect back on that experience I was like wow like that's 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 crazy but um anyway um I ended up getting an ambulance to pick me up I went to the hospital and they I got there and they were like I'm sorry to tell you but like you that was a panic attack like that's really what that was and it was just so crazy that that you can feel all those things and it's just really caused from um anxiety or things that you 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 really bring on yourself in a way so I felt and then from that point I experienced them for years I mean I so I had to stop driving. Um, I still haven't, I mean, I've driven since, but not really like maybe like a couple times, but I've just, I've had such scary experiences driving on highways and things like that, that I just could not drive anymore. I mean, I, I, that was a very much like a trigger point for me as well as is, was driving. So I, I couldn't do that. Um, and I think as you get more panic attacks, you learn how to somewhat control your mind um, and be able to talk yourself off the ledge. But it was something that I really severely went through for like at least a couple of years that, um, they just kept on recurring. Like I probably went to the hospital like 10 times, you know, oh, and, wow. and even though I would know, like in my mind, I think as, 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 with the more you have them, you think, oh, this could be a panic attack. But in part of you is like, but it feels so real Then maybe it's not. And then you bring yourself to the hospital and they're like, nope, it's a panic attack again. And you're like, so, um, so yeah, I guess I just try to avoid my super trigger points, but but yeah, we are we are we do bond on the panic attack. Well, you're much that. higher than me in the hierarchy of the club. Um, I only had one real panic attack, but the way you described it is so right on the money. You do feel like this is a heart attack. I mean, I felt my my heart was pounding on the inside of my chest, like I just wanted to get out of there, yeah, and see the world, go on tour. Yeah. And, uh, and I also ended up in the ER and I was thinking, you know, this, it was at the beginning of Obamacare at the time and it was, it's full of people and I'm going, I'm, I'm going to be dead here. There's no way I can live through this. My heart is just breaking my body down. And it was a panic attack. And so the way you described it with going to the hospital and, and sure that it's a physical thing and, and all of that, that's so accurate. See, now, since I started to seriously meditate, I can tell. When the panic starts to rattle its noises, you know, and rear its head and I see it coming and uh, I can like talk to it and tell it to calm down and just breathe slower and uh, it'll just go away. But how do you deal with it if you're still, you know, getting them? Well, I don't actually, I haven't gotten a panic attack in in a long time. Actually, well... That's not completely true. I, I feel that I had maybe something like close to one at the top of the year and I was able to really um, handle it in a different way because I think now I'm just like able to really recognize the things that sort of start to happen and you're able to like tell yourself like, okay, this is a panic attack. Like, it's okay. I'm fine. Um, so to answer your question, yeah, I guess it's... Um, I try, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's exactly what I try to do. I try to meditate. I try to just like be at peace. Like even if I have like a ton of things going on, which I always do. <laughs> and it's really hard for me to like cancel stuff and do things. Like I'm very much the person that's always overloading my schedule and like wanting to do the most I can do. But when it comes to those things and if I do have experiences where I think a panic attack is coming on, then I very much feel like I have to like remove myself from all those stressful situations and really just sit down, close my eyes 
put on some sort of like guided meditation because mm -hmm. I think for me, I do find it difficult sometimes given how much stuff that is going through your head to really be able to zone out without some sort of guidance. Um, and I do think it's comforting just to hear a voice kind of like, you know, it, it feels relaxing to me, whether it be like some sort, you know, and that that's, that's, it's comforting. That's, it's comforting. Yeah. Cause mm -hmm. I think if you're doing it on your own and not, and like, I, I think that's amazing as well, but I find it harder because I feel like there's certain things that are just like completely can bring you out of it. Um, so that's normally what I do. I'm wondering if, cause you were a performer, so you know something about performing yourself. Now you're behind the scenes more, right? Yeah. Um, what about performance anxiety? Did you have that when you were a performer? And was that something that bothered you? Were you able to just go on stage? Because I have terrible, but to this day, performance anxiety. Oh my God, I have, oh, I have the worst performance anxiety. It's, it's, it's so crazy that you asked me this because I literally, okay, so I genuinely feel in, in my heart, I will always be an artist. I'm just like, so I'm the way that I feel and like, just like the way I approach music or life is just such like, it's just, I'm very emotionally driven and I'm very em empathetic and like all these type of things. So I think I'm very much born as an artist. And I think had I, if my anxiety wasn't the way that it, it is, I feel like I would still be, you know, not coronavirus times, but I would still be touring. I think that my anxiety is just on a whole nother level. And, you know, I, I would have to do like three shots or four shots of vodka before I would like go on stage. And a lot of times it was just so bad. Like, I feel like the lifestyle of that was just so I mean, it, obviously bad and not so unhealthy. And I just saw where that was going. And it was the only way that I felt it got to the point where it was just like, okay, I would have like, you know, it, things in the morning and I would even feel like I'd have to rely on alcohol, even just to like relieve my nerves and stuff, just even in like at 10 AM and things like that. And I was just like, this is not what I want to do, you know? And I, I understand there's like other ways that you can deal with that stuff, but I think ultimately I'm like, if I have this much anxiety about it, like I feel like, not that I wouldn't want to tour and do those type of things. That I love, I really enjoy performing. Like when you get up there and the dwarfins and all that stuff, it's almost like it goes away. It's all the things like around it, surrounding it that gives you anxiety. Cause when you get up on stage and after you're through like the first 30 seconds, you're like, I'm fine. But it's like before, you know, all those things that build up in your brain. So I think like creating and being in the studio and being able to do what I do now is just so much more like, it's just the light, like I just love creating music and I feel like it, it puts me in that happy space. So I think that if I were to ever do an art, like putting out another artist project, I, I wouldn't not want to tour, but I just think that like the, the grueling life of touring, like night after night, you know, year after year, not like, I feel like this space of studio, it's almost like Sia has like, the best career because you can like put out a song tour for like a couple you know like Pharrell like those type of things that's like amazing because you can you know kind of define your life in a way that is really great because you can still have that but for me like the grueling aspect of just feeling like okay you have to be on the road every night all this promo like just social anxiety all those type even though I'm very outgoing all these things it's like I think internally I was just really suffering with a lot of stuff which is why now it's like, it would encourage me to, to really like take mental health seriously and be able to really, um, 
embrace these things and talk about them and feel like I'm not repressing stuff that I feel like was just making it worse. And it's really healthy. And I think I always encourage people to talk about it. Um, and I'm, I'm lucky cause I have music. So I'm able to like really put my emotion into, in my music, but, but yeah. So in, when you ask me that, it's like, of course, like, are you kidding me? Like a hundred percent. Like, I mean, do I have anxiety? I mean, it's on fucking 15. It's like not even, it's like sky high. So yeah. Well, anxiety isn't the only issue with mental health for, uh, especially for musicians, right? You've got depression. Yeah. In some cases, addiction. That's, that's a mental health yeah. issue. And self-destructive thoughts, which yeah. come from too much self-absorption, too much self-consciousness. So how do you how do you deal with it? How do you cope with all these, you know, challenges, emotional mental balance challenges? What are your coping mechanisms for this? Honestly, for me, it's it's really music is is always been therapy for me. Um which is why again, like I just I I find I I really just came up with with the green room type of thing because I was like it always whenever I make music or I hear certain chords or I feel certain words that really bring an emotion out of motion out of me I feel like at ease like there's nothing else that makes me feel so relaxed like just me personally right like I I really I, it's not going to work for everyone but for me like there's something that's always brought me so much ease with that and um so so definitely that and you know it's always a work in progress it's it's you know and people always ask like hey what are what are the things that you help yourself to sort of like feel better and all these type of things and I think it's just I I guess I, one thing I will say that I, I, I'm trying to do more more now than ever is just like really just be direct with people and and really talk about how I'm feeling and not not hiding it because I I, I feel like that was really destructive for me when and when when you can when you're like dancing around something or not really honest about how you're actually feeling you know mm -hmm. I think that was really that's really difficult and can really take a toll on you and your self esteem and all those type of things because um you're just, you're just not being honest with the people around you or with yourself. So it ends up just being really not good. So I, I feel like that's really helped me just to like, really just talk it through and, and, um, you know, be, be trusting and, and, and just like simple things, you know, in terms of just like simple surface things, like feng shui is a big thing. You know, I always feel like, you know, people are always like, oh my God, you like, you know, you're seeing this right now. Like in my, even in this studio, it's like, so like, looks like a fun house or whatever, but it's, it's like, I love like just like candles and like cool, like bean bags and like fun things and lights. And like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm all about those type of things because I, I know that I'll feel better. So it's like, why not? You know what I mean? Like there's something about like what that can make you feel as a person and like how it can inspire me or make me feel like immediately you wake up in the morning, you're like, Oh, I feel so much more driven to like make good stuff today because I feel better or like even as simple as like you know putting on an outfit like putting on an outfit that you feel good in or like you know I don't know and it, like the, all those type of things that I know that I find fun or like I love fashion you know that type of thing like that that makes me feel great and and I just am very aware of the things that I I I find enjoyment from so I feel like they can lift me up or make me feel happier yeah, and, and <laughs> the way you describe the feng shui and some of the physical things uh, yeah. reminds me of how people say you walk in nature 
Um, and so many people have said this, how, how nature is healing. Um, and, and that's very similar to what you're saying. And I can imagine that having 10 panic attacks that drive you to the hospital educated you in terms of how to put space around some of these negative emotions and how to, you know, balance these negative emotions. It's kind of like, it's, it's, it's very tough love, but I, I imagine it helped you put things in, in perspective. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned the nature thing, because I always talk about that. Like I, you know, during the, the, the Corona times in like, um, I've, we, me and my fiance got a house just outside of New York and my whole adult life, I've always lived in, you know, apartments and that's sort of been like my way of life. But, um, I haven't really lived in a house since, since I was like a kid and I really find being in this house, like I'm in a house right now and I'm in the nature and I'm, I'm constantly like looking outside on, at the trees and the different seasons too. Like that's a big thing. Cause I grew up in Canada and I really appreciate seasons cause I feel like it constantly makes you feel different. And it, it just, it just has such a bot, like a bodily reaction for me. And I just love it. Um, so I found it really amazing in that, in that respect to be in um, nature every day and be able to like look out and just kind of feel like I'm getting guidance through that because it's weird it's like you can talk to nature it's like not to be an esoteric but it's just like there's some like very distinct connection that you can have with the universe that makes you feel comfortable or more comfortable in your own skin like in, in, in almost like trusting of the process because you can look out and be like okay like there is a plan here there's a fate like I, I trust that and, and whether it be scary or whether it be you know any of the, all those things that we think constantly, I think if you look out and you just genuinely trust that it's so beyond your control, you know, and you look at this bigger thing, it's just same thing as looking at water, that water, like this ocean makes you feel right. Mm -hmm. There's something so comforting about that for me. Oh yeah. It's, uh, we talk about human nature. Right. We are nature. And so when we can just immerse ourselves in nature, we, we feel like we're connecting, we belong. Henry Thoreau said, heaven is not only above your head, it's also beneath your feet. Oh, wow. So it's, it's a very, um, it's a pretty common thing in many cultures to really identify with mountains and trees and birds and valleys and be able to be tranquil and have equanimity among that. Exactly. So I'm sure that's a big help. Not, not everybody can do that. Not everybody can live in the country like, like you. Why do you say that? Like in terms of like, you don't think that everybody would feel the same sort of connection to- No, I think they could. But I mean, I, I don't think everyone has that capability to, to live in nature um, or, you know, in that kind of environment. A lot of people have to live, you know, close to work in the city or whatever. Oh, I see what you're saying. I mean, the thing is, is that's what I guess I was saying about the coronavirus pot time is that is exactly what I mean. Like if this was a time that I mean, I guess it's different for me because I'm a musician and I'm, you know, in the studio, so I'm able to to work this way. But I think, um, you know, it's just it's just a specific time where it's like I haven't traveled, I haven't been on a plane for a year. You know, it's a different it's a different thing. I mean, obviously, this isn't like a normal way of life, and I feel like if anything has come good out of the situation, is like I do believe that this is this this experience that we're all going through on a on a global scale. Um, is a big shift for everyone. I mean, obviously it's, it's awful, um, in terms of all the death and everything that's going on in the world. I mean, it's just beyond, but at the same time, I think 
for the common good of like just humans and like the way that we communicate and the way that we think and the way that we all those things like live our lives I think it's just really taught us a totally another a whole other way of communicating a whole other way of feeling like there's so many things that have come out of this experience that I think it's just it's pretty crazy that we're living in you know and like when you say like not everyone can be in that like I feel that like I wouldn't be in this situation had it not been what's going on in the world right so it's like there there's some things that you have to take the positive out of that and that's really been a good thing I think you know that's a good point. That's an interesting point. Yeah. That, that that you wouldn't have been where you are now. Okay. No, I mean definitely definitely not. I mean 100 I mean like we we for example like um normally you know before this this happened I was going on I was on a plane every week. I would I was by coastal so I would be spending my weeks in LA and then my weekends in New York. So I was on a plane all the time. Um, again, living in apartments, which I love. I'm such a city girl. I, I love the life of being in a city. But at the same time, I, I don't think I realized how much um, joy I could get from this lifestyle as well, just because it's, um, there's, I like this. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm an artist. I've been living out of a suitcase since <laughs> I graduated high school. So, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think I've ever known stability like I have this year, ever. Like literally for the past 10 years, I've just been like, one hotel to another, one friend's couch to another, you know, like it's just, that's the nature of this business. And it, it takes a toll, you know? Yeah, and that's a very controversial subject right now in the music industry. What you're First, we're talking about the grueling lifestyle of being on tour. And now what you're talking about, the constant stress and the moving around and the yeah. instability. So the controversy going on now is, as you know, there's a, a movement now in our, in, in the music industry, to be aware of um, these stresses and to be aware of these challenges mo emotionally and mentally and to take responsibility. I mean, Alicia Keys writes in her uh, autobiography that she just at some point said, no more, nothing, no more recording, no more, no more. She's going to Egypt and she needed to take a break and, the, you know, the stresses were just too much. And you see the uh, people like Avicii, there's a great uh, documentary on Netflix about him. And you see the pressure that he's under, the constant tour, and, and he really doesn't know who he is yet. And yet all these expectations that people have of him and the business side is always pushing to do more, go more places, play more shows, et cetera, and he just couldn't take it anymore. And the question is, how responsible are people in these positions of responsibility uh, for the mental health of the artists? Should they be... Uh, helping support the mental health of artists? Should they be sensitive to not over-stressing out their artists? What do you think? I think 100%. I think ev everybody should be cognizant of that and aware of, of the mental health of, of your artists or, or anybody that you work with, to be honest. Like, I think, um, you know, as simple as being like, how are you? Or just being like, a like you know, again, empathetic, because I think for me, I'm so sensitive to energies and I'm always thinking of like, how is somebody feeling? Like I feel, I feel so much that I'm always just like wanting to check in. And like, um, I think it's really important because it's, it, this, we're human still, you know, as much as like we may think we're robots or we may think we have superpowers, which, you know, we can, but I think at the end of the day, um, 
you just don't know what someone's going through. And I think unless you ask, you, you, and it's not, especially if you're working with somebody on a, um, you know, a day-to-day or whatever, not even a day, but it's just like if, if you have somebody in your life and you care about them, I think that it's something that we all should do and just make sure that they're good and just like, hey, um, you know, how are you feeling? Like you're, you're feeling inspired or you're feeling good? Like you, you need a day off? Like I just think that at some point we have to just like pay attention to like how we feel and like what um, – those things are just like, they matter so much. And I think sometimes we just like throw it under the rug, but it's just, it ends up piling up and being destructive in the end. So I think it's just, it's, it's absolutely, I think it's essential that you, you do, you ask and take care of, you know, your mental health and, and, and people that you work with mental health. Like, I, I, I think you can't ignore that stuff. You can't just be like, oh, that's fine. Keep going. Like, no, that's no, like, at least just be proactive and help to like cure it, you know, in whatever way that you can therapy or, you know, so many other ways that you can help meditating. And, right. you know, there's so many ways that you can help relieve stress now, you know? Right. I think um, Maverick management, I know Ma- Maverick management at one point was giving yoga and meditation lessons to um, the sure. staff and artists and all that. And there is, there is a movement that there should be a meditation coach that tours with bands, et cetera, et cetera. And your podcast, particularly Green Room, deals with this, right? Your podcast. And you have partnerships with the Jed Foundation. Yeah, they're a nonprofit for mental health. Um, so and I, I just love them. And it's just such an important part of the podcast because I love to be able to give back. You know, like that's really the thing. It's like giving back to the mental health community. Um, and then also partnering with She Is The Music, which, you know, obviously Alicia Keys is, it's her, she started it and it's, um, really important to me as well. Cause it's, it, I'm, I'm all about female empowerment and that can really affect your mental health as well. Just, you know, um, all the bias, biases that people have in terms of, you know, females in our business or really in any business. So I, I really support that as well. So it's really cool that we were able to partner on this on the green room with, you know, Jed and she is the music. It's just been amazing and so cool. Well, tell us something that you think you've learned from, from your podcast about the subject. I, I think that for me, like I've just learned in the process, like how very important it is to just continue to talk about what you're going through. And I think that, you know, starting it, I always thought that, and that's why I did start it. But, but as I'm doing it, I'm just, I'm, I'm just learning how cathartic it is to really just to just take a second and really just be selfless and, or, I mean, listen, it, I guess into some respect, it's selfish to talk about your own things, but really it's like the selflessness is to be like, Hey, let's talk about what other people are going through and just like come together as humanity or, you know, and just really understand that we're all one. And it's like, not, it's not just an ego thing. We're all just like trying to, you know, we're all in the same brace together. And that's been really cool. And also I think what I've learned is that, I've met a lot of cool people like yourself, you know, like that's amazing. I always, you know, like you said, I've talked about how great our episode was and, 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 and just like. Episode number seven, by the way. Yes. Did you see it? It's on Spotify now. (laughs) Oh, it's exciting. I got to check it out. Yeah. And, um, so that, so that's been really cool. And I guess like just learning different people's perspectives, the way they deal with different, 
you know, issues regarding mental health, I find it really challenging for me. And, and, and I like talking about it and it makes me, I come out of it just feeling so much better, you know, because even if I don't, it's not necessarily a subject that I completely relate to. Like I may relate to one subject more than another, but I always come out being like, wow, I learned something about that. And, and ultimately that ends up making me feel better because I think, oh, wow, like I, I learned more about you, one, whoever the person that we're talking to. I've also like met, you know, again, going back to like just meeting great people and being able to just like um, feel like it's just motivated from something other than just like, oh, cool, that's a bottom line or like, hey, I want to put those music to be successful or hits or blah, blah, blah. You know, all the things that we deal with in our industry. It's like so much bigger than that. It's like just it feels so important. It's like I love that it's not completely self-serving. Yeah, I mean, I totally relate to everything you just said. And especially the last two things, uh, you know, meeting interesting people. It, it really does give you a chance to meet interesting people like yourself. And also you do learn things and maybe your listeners will learn things. Maybe something that somebody says helps them um, cope with some issue, you know, that they're having. So it seems that I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it as talk therapy um, but I get that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's it's it feels very much in that realm, um, especially in the episode that we did with the guided meditation. And um, what's really cool is like, wow, what a, what a cool time that you know. There's people listening in and being able to participate and feeling like the energy of these people that you don't even know. Because I really feel I I just have so many. Like I, I, I do feel like in some ways I am an empath and I think a lot of creative people are. I think the more that you allow yourself to be, the more that you can be. But even if you don't know who's listening or, you know, I feel like you feel it. And especially when you're doing something like meditation, it just puts you on a whole nother level with, with yourself and other people. And I just found that so, so great. Yeah, yeah. meditation and mindfulness for me have been lifesavers and I've met many people um, that meditation and, and mindfulness have worked for them in terms of they'll say that saved their lives. Uh, it certainly changes your life. You get into it deeply. And I think in, in for musicians especially, our headspace is tuned you know, already for meditation and mindfulness because of so many different things, the way we listen to the world, how sensitive we are, the way we're familiar with harmony of body, mind, and feeling. There's so many uh, similarities that we have that it's a natural segue from music into a meditative state and a meditative practice. And it's so helpful. There are other tools that are helpful, but we have so many daunting challenges uh, when we put ourselves out and rely on our livelihoods and our self-image and our self-esteem and our sense of purpose on our music, which is so fragile. I know. It's immaterial. It's intangible. It's invisible. <laughs> it's so true. And and so we're just an open case. You know, we're an open book. They say you're wearing your heart on your sleeve. Yeah, you're wearing, you're wearing everything on your sleeve. Literally, literally. It's so <laughs> true. Like, um, you just said something, but I forget which... Oh, man, you said it, and I was like, oh, my God, that's so true. But I honestly, like, I... I everything that you just said, it's so true, and it, it's... um. Oh, sense of purpose. That's what you said. It's just yeah. like, that's, that's so massive because I think that's the thing that a lot of people struggle with, you know, it's just like being able to like really feel like 
you have purpose. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. we're so lucky. Listen, we're, we're very lucky as musicians to have that because there, there's such an innate passion there that I think it's just like you have this blessing and a curse to be so addicted to something like this, that it makes you feel like this, like, of course, like a hundred percent your purpose. But then sometimes you forget that like music may feel like the purpose, but you may have other things inside of that, that you're not even aware of that you're, you're, you're actually, um, that's actually also your purpose, right? And I think that music may be the vessel, but there's so many things that that are in that, which I think is also important to address in terms of mental health too, because I think that can be confusing, especially when you become like a really famous or like in celebrity, like for celebrities, I think it's overwhelming, especially with really young, when it's really, when they're really young, because I think it's confusing, like, I have more to offer. And it's like, it, it's almost like, oh, is this, is this all people care about for me? Do they actually like the real me? And it's like all these things that I think can be really um, hard to, to like continue life because especially when you're, you're having that experience at such a young, at such a young age, it's like, how do you continue your life and, and understand what your purpose is when you think, okay, everyone just loves me because I'm good at this, which is like, yes, your purpose, but like just such a small part of it, right? Yeah. And every step of the way, there's this question about your purpose. So when you're starting out, you feel my purpose is to be a songwriter and for people to hear my songs and it doesn't happen. And so it's, it's, it's a constant pressure on yourself, well, I'm not living my purpose. People aren't buying my records or whatever. And then let's say you achieve step one. You you do put out a record that people buy. And so now, okay, so now you feel good for a while. Could be for a couple of years. Maybe you get a gold record. Maybe you get a platinum record. Yeah. But then you put out another record and it doesn't do as well, right? So you're used to uh, having the, had that success and you say, well, my purpose is now what's my purpose. Or as you keep climbing the ladder, you know, you can tour the world like Elvis Presley or Michael Jackson or Prince, uh, uh, Tom Petty, you can tour the world. But when you put out a new record, no one's buying it. No one bought Prince's latest record. No one bought Elvis Presley's latest record. And so they're saying, where's my purpose? My purpose was to be number one. I'm not number one anymore. So I have no more purpose. Oh my God. It's so true. Like that in relevancy is the name of the game, right? With our business. And it's kind of like, in that you just said it right there is like, all of a sudden you're a hot producer, a hot songwriter, hard artist, the artist, but then you, you know, everybody, whatever comes up has to come down. So if you rely on that feeling of up and in that at some point will come down, cause it doesn't matter. You, like you said, you could be any of those people that you just mentioned. And this, this is a hundred percent happened to everybody. Right. And that's exactly what I was describing, because if you rely on that feeling is that's when all these trigger points happen, whether it be like panic attack, like all those things happen. And that's what I feel like I've gone through on so many different levels. And I know we all, in, in music and in entertainment is just such a business that, you know, we're selling ourselves, we're, we're the brand. So it's like so, it's so much pressure because it's you, right? Where I don't know other careers. I can't even say if it's, you know, I would think entertainment is just like, you know, uh, a higher level of that. But I, I don't, I know that other businesses may be too, but I know that I think that if you're selling something that's not you, maybe it's like, but when it's you, that is the brand, it's right. just so much harder because you're all the pressure is maintaining like, Oh, if, if, if I'm not successful, I don't have this and people aren't going to like me as much. And that's, that's, that just boils down to pure, like almost like high school 
you know, feelings, right? Because you're like, oh, okay, like popularity contests and, and it just, that becomes your purpose because you're like, oh, I have to be, you know, uh, the coolest or the prettiest right. or the most talented for people to like me. But like, if that's what your purpose becomes, that's when it becomes really dangerous because, um, if you rely on those things, it's just, I don't know, it's not going to be at some point, those things, you can't have that forever. You know what I mean? And, and also it's, it's going to, it's just, yeah, I guess it's, it's just unrealistic to, to think that anybody can just have that forever. And I think that if you find things about yourself, that's like deeper purpose or deeper reasons why you love yourself or all those kind of things. It's like, there's just so much more value. I think that you'd have in life and appreciation. At least that's the way I feel, you know, you have more than one purpose. Your purpose is limitless. Yes, uh, exactly. And Leonard Cohen said, so there was one thing that made him happy. And when that thing was gone, everything made him happy. You know, so that one thing could be, oh, I should be number one. And that made me happy when I was number one. And then when it's gone, you can go one of two directions. You can open yourself up to everything else that exists. Or you can <laughs> say, I have no more purpose in life. So I should take, you know, this Vicodin cut with fentanyl and overdose like Prince did. Yeah. And I mean, we have, according to Buddhism, right, the default mindset is to be dissatisfied to want to be somewhere else than you are where you are. Um, and the the key is to recognize that you're telling yourself a story. Yeah. That I should be somewhere else or I should be higher on the charts or I should be number one again, whatever that story is. And, and to be able to see, to listen to that story and know it's just a story you're telling yourself. It's just an idea. And to be able to smile at that idea and just move on with your life. It takes a lot of training to do that. A lot of training and a lot of willingness to, to get better. And, and, and I think that's hard because a lot of times it's hard. You get in your own way and you think, I'm fine. And, you know, I'm just going to keep going. And I, I can kind of sweep, again, sweep this under the rug and deal with it later. But then it creeps up at you at some point. And, and that's when these panic attacks start because it's like you're repressing all these things that are very obvious, but you're not like actually paying attention. But they feel very easy to walk away from. Cause they're not like in the forefront of your calendar. It's not like, oh, okay, cool. Like it's not listed at 10 AM. Hey, unless you do it and like, you can do that. And that's the thing. And I think it's on ourselves to do that and, 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 and be able to check our own mental health and be able to take care of ourselves in that way. But it's, 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 it's a lot of responsibility on you and, and that, and that can be a hard work for a lot of people and, and including myself as much as I a advocate for this and I care so much about it. I, it's still very much like a daily effort on, on my part too, because it's like, I'm trying to balance my life and my career and, and like things that I want and also just realizing, oh man, like I, I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not working out. I'm not doing this. I'm not, you know, eating enough or whatever the, the drinking enough water, like these things like that actually really matters. And I think those even, and it does help. I just realized like how much those things impact the way that we feel. Like it's like the harmony thing. It's like mind, body, spirit. I mean, it's just so aligned and you have to just like listen to your body and it's hard because you know, again, sleep is another thing, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, okay, cool. I'm just going to go, go, go. And it's just, at some point you just are going to crash again. Like we're not machines. So maybe we will be someday, but we're not at the moment. Right. No, that's very true. No need to rush. The world isn't going anywhere. Take your time. 
Right. As you said before, to have patience at the beginning when you're talking about being a songwriter, is to have patience. That's big. That's very important. So, so is there anything that we haven't discussed that you want to mention? Oh, Richard, you know, we could talk forever. Yeah. <laughs> I just love, you know, I love, I love hearing, you know, you have such a soothing voice. I don't know if I told you this last time on my podcast, but I really just enjoy talking to you. You just have, you have a very, um, you have a way about you that just is very healing to the point of what I was saying about listening to certain meditations. I just love talking to you. It's so funny. So I'm sure there's a million things we could talk about, but in terms of just anything that I, I wanted to specifically talk about, I mean, I think for me and like one, you know, I guess I, I love everything that we've talked about. And I guess the only thing that, you know, I, I would add is like, you know, I think being able to realize and constantly just be able to appreciate the things that we have because um again I, I I honestly a lot of what I say a lot of times is just like me sort of like creating my own mantras as well and just like trying to practice the, these kind of things by by speaking them into to to mm -hmm. fruition or whatever it's just it it it's so important because I think a lot of times um again, to your point of never feeling satisfied, that's something that always comes up with every musician I talk to and just like a lot of podcasts or just like people that generally talk about this and it's just so hard and I feel like something that just like is really important um, as anybody in this business or anybody listening is just like to just constantly have appreciation for what you're given because it's it's no matter what and I really believe this if you achieve the most you know if you're Obama or whatever you're trying to achieve in your life you know if you're in, if you look back into like elementary school days and you're like oh this is what I want to do in my life and you're like I want to be the president one day and you actually become the president I'm sure it, from Obama's perspective he's also like oh these there's things that I don't like about myself or want to do like you know it's, it's just impossible to be completely satisfied so I think it's really important every day to just check yourself on that and just like that that is something that I constantly am trying to work on for my own self, like, and listen to my body and just be like, listen, I am so driven and I want to achieve so much, but if I'm absolutely crashing and burning, like, I have to sometimes be able to be like, I'm done, like, I can't continue, like, I have to just be done for today, and that's hard to do because sometimes you may miss an opportunity, but but I think if if it's if it's to protect your shell that is your body, that is, you know, so important. That's the reason that we can exist. I think it's fairly important to, 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 to preserve. And I don't know, I, I, I feel that it's important to say that because again, it's just, I, I think, especially in a time that we're living in right now, I think we need to just protect ourselves and each other and our friendships and the people we love and all these things. I think it's just a constant thought process that I go through every day. So and people can hear more of your thought processes on The Green Room, which is on Spotify. Where else is it? It's on Twitch? Yay! It is, yeah. So it's actually The Green Room Talks. I mean, we it's it's funny because there I didn't even realize this, but there happens to be a lot of green rooms. Who knew? But um, but yeah, it's The Green Room Talks. They can You can find it on Spotify. Um, if you go to like the songwriter genre, they've, they put it on the feature, like featured podcast, which Terrific. is really cool. Um, and obviously on Instagram, TikTok, um, and 
Facebook, like all the normal things and YouTube, of course. I mean, we're right now, Twitch is the, the way that we're doing it is live. So, um, that's the way we've been doing it, but I may now transition into doing it on YouTube live, but I'll obviously talk about that when I promote the next episode on my socials. But, um, in terms of prior episodes, episode seven in particular, you can find, <laughs> you can find on all those channels. And, and, and in fact, it, I'm glad that we mentioned it because, um, literally because it just be, you know came up on Spotify last week I'm I'm trying to re-promote the episodes on my Instagram every day so I'm going to definitely put a swipe up to the episode that we were on tomorrow cuz it's perfect timing so thank you so much for coming and uh it's been uh incandescent and a thrill and uh you kept me on my toes which is why Yay. I invited. That's the real reason because you keep me on my toes and it's easier with your energy for me to be on my toes. So thank you so much. I look thank forward you. to the next time. Yes. Oh my God, Richard, you're the best. I genuinely appreciate you and I'm so happy that we met and you're in my life now. So I hope that I can listen to you, your voice when I meditate because <laughs> it's just so relaxing. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, so this episode was recorded actually before the Grammys, so we don't know how it turned out. But, of course, it's a one-in-a-billion long shot that you'll make a record that gets noticed and gets nominated for a Grammy. We do have, by the way, some great announcements to make. I had promised that, and here we go. On April the 18th, which is a Sunday at 1 p.m., I will be speaking at the L.A. Times Book Festival. Very excited about this. We were supposed to uh, do that last year, but of course the pandemic uh, had a different opinion. Very exciting. We'll be at the LA Times Book Festival, which will be online. It should be easy to find. And also, we are engaging in a joint effort with Music Cares, which as you know is a charity arm of the Grammys, the Recording Academy. And we will be doing a series along with uh, previous podcast guest, Erica Cruzen. And it will be, of course, entitled In Tune, Music as the Bridge to Mindfulness. Should be a familiar title because it's the title of my book. And I'm very excited about working with Music Cares to bring more awareness about meditation, mindfulness practices to the music community and how it can benefit mental health. Uh, music Cares has done incredible work during the pandemic to help musicians. They've helped um, about 20,000 people in the music community that were particularly hard hit by the pandemic. And so we'll be doing an episode every other month, which will live on the website for the Recording Academy, Music Cares. And our first episode will be featuring the guest Justin Beretta, well-known to listeners of this podcast. Justin from Glitch Mob, Superposition, extremely knowledgeable and articulate about insight, meditation, and uh, mindfulness. And uh, now I want to thank, of course, my co-producer who uh, helps make this possible, Hannah Bowers, also known as The Hannah Bowers. And also want to thank James Bianco for helping with editing. And uh, of course, if you so get in the mood, give us a rating of five stars, slip somebody a fiver with a note to listen to this podcast. And um, 
until the uh, the next time, guess what I hope? I hope that you can keep holding up in a higher octave and lets you and I stay in tune.